Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I sat with this family in a big hospitality room. It had carpeting and big cushy couches and everything that you need to kind of just have that relaxing moment. And as we sat there, the, the family sat and we started to talk, but it was just that kind of that nervous chatter of like, I don't really know you and you don't know me, but we just started this kind of awkward conversation of, of just stuff. We talked about, you know, the Packers and we talked about life that's very small and where do you shop and all those little stories that are inconsequential in most of our time, but it's that nervous chatter all due to fill awkward silence. As I sat there, I, I started to realize that this family really has no connection to me or really no connection to the church at all. They, they were somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody and said, hey, I know this place. Um, I know someone you can call. Call this place and they'll take care of you. So it, to say it was uncomfortable is an understatement because they didn't know me and I didn't know them, yet we sat in this room and waited. Finally, the, the wife arrived. And as the wife arrived, the, the mood in the room changed a little bit, became a little bit more solemn. And she came in quietly and solemnly and sat down. And we started to talk. I got to know their names, I got to know a little bit of their stories, I got to hear a little bit of their history and where they've been and things that they've gone through. You know, but then again, anytime you go through any sort of funeral arrangement, it's always hard. So I listened to stories. And as the wife started to share, tears were coming down her eyes, but there, there was a difference with the rest of the room. The rest of the room was a little more jovial, honestly, and made me uncomfortable. In fact, the son started to tell these stories about their father, and, and they started to tell these stories that weren't very good. They started to tell these stories about, hey, do you remember that time when dad was just fall down drunk and he got in that fight and hit that guy in the face? And they started to giggle a little bit. And I just looked and said, okay. And I thought, and I can't use that in the sermon, right? <laughs> and the story started to go on. The other son, hey, do you remember that time when dad fill in the blank and it wasn't good? Hey, do you remember that time when dad stole that car because he was so drunk again? And they started telling these stories over, over and over again of their father laughing and joking and having a great time. And I sat there and I realizing very different about our, our belief system here. Their belief system, as they start, they don't go to church, they're not interested in Jesus. They, this is something they have to go through. There is nothing after you die. It's the end. So live life to the fullest. Get the best that you can right now because live for you now because there's no tomorrow. Dad did that. Dad lived to the fullest. Dad gave all that he had. He was all in all the time. Dad, we remember you and we laugh and we celebrate your life because now there's nothing. There's no harder funeral. There's no harder job as a pastor than those. 
I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of things that we do in, in our line of work to help people through very difficult times. The most difficult time that I personally have is the moment of understanding that we don't even have the same belief that there's some hope in death. That death is the end point to a story of a meaningless life that hopefully you did some good, hopefully you helped somebody, you did the best that you could while you're on earth, but the truth is, is that's it. Nothing else matters. Now, if you take this line of logic further enough down the line, far enough down the line, you really start to get to a point of saying, well, why does humanity really matter? Because really, if it's just mine, I should do everything for me. Like, why would I be charitable? Why would I help others? Like, I, I want a good society for who? I don't care. This is the end point. But most times, that's not the logic that people actually move towards. The logic that people move to when they believe that there's nothing left afterwards is simply this. I want to be a good person because it's best for my time on earth and best for society. I want to do the best I can to help my family because that's the best thing I can do to help my family. I'm going to give everything I have now. And then at the end, there's just nothing. Sad. It's hard. And I did that funeral. And of course, to use none of the stories they told me. <clears throat> but what I did say is this. I, I had the funeral and I said, friends, I want to share with you something that maybe you haven't heard before. Now, I know that everyone in this room believes in Jesus Christ. And not all of you believe that there's something else that matters. But let me just share with you something that you haven't heard. That... Jesus Christ was a true person who lived in true history. And this true person in true history has an account of a being seen after his death. And that Jesus Christ was written about as having risen from the dead. And if he was who that he says that he was, this God-man beat death and did it for us. That means that there can be life after death. And so we got done with the funeral. Things were done, pleasantries. Hey, pastor, that was a really nice speech. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Few conversations. I've never heard anything like that before. I said, well, let me share a little bit more about who this Jesus is. Because, friends, if we do not embrace and understand this idea of what Jesus did in the totality of, this, of the cross and this Lenten series to Easter and understand that his death marks something and his resurrection marks something and his kingship marks something that is so huge to us, if we just go by it without recognizing these key moments, we can start to all believe what does life really matter? But I'm going to share a story with you today that you've maybe never even thought of before and interlinking something that proves Jesus' power. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 21 to 43. Mark, chapter 9, 21 to 43. If you have your Bibles, Bible apps, if you are new to Bible reading or haven't done that, but there's a great Bible app called YouVersion. It's free. You can put it on your phones, your iPads. They've got reading plans. Um, oftentimes, I don't carry paper Bibles anymore. Um, just because I have it on my phone or my iPad all the time. So um, if you, and, and I've got the big study one, so it's like carrying around a dictionary. So, but you can have it with you always on your phones on U version, great version as well. 
uh, there in your Bible apps. Mark chapter 9, verses 21 to 43. There's two separate stories happening here, and I'm going to take a story that if you've read before, you're familiar with, and this might be the first time hearing it as well. I want you to listen to this story and listen to this Jesus. And you always ask questions, why do they put these stories together? We're going to answer this today. Mark chapter 9, 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed, and they pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt it in her body, and she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You can see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha koam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So we have this story, and I I love the visual of this story. I'm going to put you into the movie, and here we go. So Jesus is on this boat, and he gets off. And there's this crowd that hears. Now, Jesus is a popular figure, so everyone is going around them and crushing in. So let's just think about this. They're giving away free cream puff samples at the Wisconsin State Fair, okay? Imagine the crowd pressing in to get that free sample. There's talking, there's yelling, there's all this commotion. People are talking to each other. There's wailing. There's people with ailments. They heard he was coming and they want to get healed. So it isn't like Jesus got off the boat and like, all right, where should we go? It is, boom, he is surrounded by people. People are pushing and shoving. If you've ever been in a crowd that's unruly, you know what I'm talking about. It's not unruly to beat Jesus up. It's unruly they got to get to Jesus. And so this crowd is pushing in all around him. I 
trying to make the way through the crowd. So the disciples think, they're like, guys, move, move, move. And they're kind of moving people aside. They're making a way, right? You're seeing someone getting, make it a way for So they're trying to push people back and they're grabbing Jesus's hand. And I don't believe in the Jesus of most Jesus movies in which he looks really angry all the time. And secondly, he wasn't Caucasian. I'll be very clear about this, right? <laughs> so they're making his way through the crowd. And I just imagine this about my Jesus as I read. He's looking, he's smiling. He's not angry, like, get out of my way. He's like, I could see smiling in his eyes. And people are reaching out, and he's grabbing hands and saying hello. He's loving the people as they're coming through, but he's got to get his way through, right? So he's loving these people as he's walking through this crowd. And they're all pushing around, pushing back and forth. And they're like, make way for Jesus. And they're walking through the crowd. Then comes up Jairus. So Jairus pushes his way out of through the crowd, and he falls before Jesus, right before him. And he pleads with him, please, master, my daughter is dying. She's only 12 years old. As a parent, the thought sickens me. And for any parent in here who's ever had to go through any ailment with your children, this is an understanding of how Jairus was feeling at this moment. The desperation of this young child, this young girl in their culture would not yet have been married. She would be married around the age of 13 or so. She was still in her mother's home. Yes, 13-year-old girls were women in the Jewish culture, and they began to build their families. But there is a probability that she would have been betrothed, possibly, to be married at some time. So this young girl was just about to become a woman. She's at that place in our culture where we think maybe, thinking just like, what does that look like for our culture? She's about to be 18. She's about to be freed from the high school and all those things. Like, oh my goodness, I right? Like there's this moving into womandom. Here she's at this young age. And so Jesus is there and Jairus comes. He says, please, please, master, if you come and lay hands, you can heal her. He says, okay. Now understand this. There's a crowd of people and a whole lot of sick people around him at this point because they all know what this Jesus can do. But he chooses Jairus. We don't know why. He just, this is, he does what he does, right? So he says, okay. And so the crowd starts pushing and shoving. Now there, Jairus is leading Jesus over to his house. And this crowd is continually moving along, but he only takes a few people. He's like, okay, disciples, come with me. We're going to start moving this way. As you see, they're crushing through. And then this woman comes up. Now, this woman comes up, and she was not invited to the story. This is a story about Jairus. This is not a story about a woman who has a bleeding issue. Who is she to enter into the story? But this is how awesome Jesus is. Jesus is going through the crowd, and this woman who's been sick for 12 years. Let's not skip this point. A 12-year-old girl, a 12-year ailment. We're going to get back to that in a second. This woman's been sick for 12 years. This woman has been an ailment for as long as this little girl's been alive. This woman is a complete outcast in Jewish culture. Her bleeding makes her unclean. Her ailments makes her un, uh, unable to go and worship God in the holy place. She can't go to the temple because of her, her uncleanliness. She is unable to touch food and cook for people because of her uncleanliness. She is ceremonially, ritually, and humanly unclean. She has this ailment that has been plaguing her for 12 years, and she has spent every dime she has to get better, and all she gets is worse. 
She has nothing to show for everything she's given. I use the word I think we can all understand, desperate. What else do I have? And so this woman is a complete outcast, is walking through the crowds. She's sick. She's weak. If anyone's ever had any issues like anemia or anything like that where there's this weakness to the body, like she is losing blood all the time. So she is not doing well. So let's just put her into this crowd. This woman, they see this woman coming. They're jumping back. Ah, they see this. And people are starting to step back from her because if they see blood on her clothes, they can't touch her. She's unclean. And so they're pulling back from her. Nobody goes near her, wants to touch her. But she is making her way through the crowd. She thinks, if I can just reach out and touch his cloak. She can't ask Jesus to touch and heal her because he would be ceremonially unclean. And he can't be unclean. He's a teacher. He's a man of God. A man of God can't touch anybody like this. So she dare not even ask him, Master, would you touch me and heal me? Jairus says, would you come and touch my daughter and she can be healed? The woman doesn't even dare to ask that question because she knows there's no way. So she starts to work her way through the crowd and as Jesus is pushing through, this woman gets her way through and touches the cloak, just touches it. And Jesus stops on a dime and the crowd pushes back in again. Like, why are you stopping, man? We had momentum. Let's keep going, right? But he stops and he's like, who touched me? Now, I find this fascinating because Jesus knows what happened. The woman knows what happened. Nobody else in the crowd knows what just happened. So this woman is healed immediately, and the bleeding stops. And there's such a transformation in her that we start to think of medically what would happen. Her energy would come back. Her health that she's not felt in 12 years comes back to her in an instant by simply touching the cloak of the rabbi. And so Jesus knows this. And now the movies, who touched my cloak? No, no, that's not our master. That's not not who the rabbi is. They touch her cloak in faith. She believed, and so he stops. Touch my cloak. And he stops, and he looks in the crowd. Now he knows who this is, right? But is this woman going to step out and say it? Because she's unclean and she just touched him. Is she going to admit this to the crowd? Is she going to tell everybody what happened? And the disciples are like, dude, there's like a million people here. Everybody's touching your cloak, right? I I see them confused. I see them in this crowd like, can we just please keep moving here? This girl is dying. Lots of people are touching your cloak, Jesus. Why are we focused on this point right now? And he keeps looking. Who touched me? Come on, guys. Who touched me? And then this woman comes up falls down before him, afraid, fearful. I did. It, I, 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 I touched you. I, I, and she just weeps before the master. And yet, she sits there before him, trembling. He says, daughter. He doesn't call her a cold, crass. That's why there's no anger on the face of Jesus in those old Jesus movies. He says the word daughter. There's a, fa- there's a relationship. This woman probably has not been touched in 12 years. Think about this. This woman hasn't had human contact in 12 years. Mentally, think about what it would be like if you've been isolated for 12 years. 
Think about mentally what it's been like for 12 years. You're dying. She is dying. For 12 years, this ailment is aching and taking her life mentally, physically, spiritually. This young woman is a wreck, and she gets called daughter. Not only does he heal her physically, relationally, he just restored her. He says, daughter, it's okay. Your faith has healed you. Now, go in peace, and you are freed from your suffering. But I can't imagine that moment when that woman is sitting there shaking at the feet of Jesus, scared, all of a sudden healed. Like, you want to talk about emotional roller coaster of what just happened. And Jesus says, daughter, I see the smile in his eyes. Daughter, you're healed. You're free. You're free. And all of a sudden, she gets up, and everybody's staring at this woman in the crowd, right? Like, a step back? What are people doing all of a sudden? Like, what's it like for this woman to get up and say, I'm healed? If someone tells you that they've been healed, your first answer is, yeah, right. Yeah, right. No, you're not. Like, prove it. How do I know that you're healed? But she immediately is healed, and she is free from this. And I can't imagine anything except jubilation. I can't imagine anything like, I'm free. I'm free. I'm healed. I'm healed. And she starts to make all this noise and commotion, and people are talking. But then there's another commotion that comes in. You tracking with me? This is better than Netflix. Keep with me. Because then, <laughs> then you have Jairus's fan, the servants or the people from his house come up like, amen, your daughter's dead. This woman just received life. This 12-year-old girl just received death. This 12-year affliction has been freed. This 12 years have come to an end. And says, don't bother the master. Don't bother him. She's dead. And I love this idea of what Jesus says. Why bother the teacher anymore? He overhears him because they're not even talking to him. They're going to Jairus. He's like, dude, your daughter's dead, man. Like, don't bother him anymore. It's over. It's over. So Jairus, I'm just going to put myself in his shoes, starts just weeping and wailing. His daughter's dead. But Jesus like, no, man, don't be afraid. You just got to believe. What was it that got Jairus to go to Jesus in the first place? He believed. What got Jairus to say, I've got to see the master? His 12 daughter is dying, and he is desperate. The 12-year affliction of the bleeding woman, desperate. Jairus, desperate. Where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? So he says, okay, I've got to see the master, and he goes. She's dead. So he, it's over. He starts to weep. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Go back. Believe. You did before. Believe. And so Jesus starts to make his way through the crowd. But this time, he only brings three of his disciples. And he brings them in. He goes to the house, and he sees the commotion. Now, I love this in the verse here. It says, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said, why all this commotion and wailing? Back in that culture, they would hire professional mourners. They would hire people, and this was their job, to go into funerals and processions and just whoop it up as loud as they can. Now, 
The wedding or the funeral that I went to with that family was a very small one in which there wasn't much mourning. The first funeral I told you about, there was more jovial kind of doesn't really matter. Uh, we miss dad, but you know, it's no big deal. He's, you know, life's over, uh, live life to the fullest. And so there was some kind of sadness, but nothing really anything. But in their culture, the difference here is that the weeping and wailing shows the significance of the person. If no one's weeping that you had died, what was your significance on earth? You didn't have relationships. Like This was an important piece of their culture, so you would hire professional mourners to come in and wail at your funerals. You guys, I will be more than glad to offer that to you at any of your funerals. (laughs) So you'd have professional mourners who have no connection at all to this family except they got paid. So here she is, dead girl on the thing, and these would, and they would play music, they make all this noise, and they do all this. But the question is, why are they there already? You ever thought, like, why are they there? This girl just died. This isn't like, and three weeks later, like this girl just died. So the bodies at that time only went 24 hours. So it was instantaneous on call. In their culture, bodies were buried very quickly for obvious reasons. You can't sit on a body. They didn't have coolers and things like that to be so grotesque of morgues, but you had to take care of the body quickly. And so mourning began instantaneously and quickly. The odds are Jarius already had them on lock. The odds are that Jarius already had some idea like this might not work out. He may have had a backup plan B, but they were there and they were ready. And by the time Jesus arrived, they are already showing their great mourning and weeping and wailing. And so Jesus walks into the room and he's like, what's going on, guys? Why are you guys all crying? What's all this commotion? This girl's not dead. She's just asleep. And they all turn and they start laughing at him. So how you know this is fake? How do you go from, ah, <laughs> yeah, lose this guy? Like, it was instantaneous. All that weeping and wailing was fake. They turned on a dime because there's no emotion involved. And so they go, like, guys, stop. She's just sleeping. And these are professional wailers. They've been to a few funerals in their life. They've seen a few dead bodies. This girl's dead, bro. Like, there's no misunderstanding this. And they, like, are making fun of Jesus. They're mocking him. Now, I'm going to share with you, if we come to a place when I see a dead body, you're like, no, man, they're just sleeping. I'm going to turn to you and be like, what are you saying, right? Like, so this, was, this would be a natural response to who is this guy who's walking into this room and saying to us that this little girl is asleep. She doesn't have a pulse. I checked her ABCs. No airway, no breathing, no circulation. She's dead, bro. She's not dead. She says, no, 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 she's sleeping. They make fun of him. He's like, all right, guys, out, 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 out. So he gets, you go ahead, he moves them on on. They get out of the room and stuff. And then you got mom, dad, and the disciples. Takes her hand. He's like, hey, girl, come on. Little girl, look at the beauty of that word. Little girl, daughter, little one. Come on, get up. And so this girl gets up, bloop, and she starts to walk around. And as she's walking around, That's a sign of life, if you've ever asked me. So she's walking around, and she's like, hey, can y'all get her something to eat? Now, I love that part of the story, because think of this. This girl gets up, and (laughs) this is just my Jasonism. Forgive me, this is not in the Bible. 
She's like, did she get up and be like, oh, I didn't do my chores, and start doing her chores? Like, <laughs> like, she gets up and starts walking around. Like, she's moving, like, I'm good, and, like, started to, like, do something, and everyone is just staring at what they had just saw. She's like, uh, you want to get her some lunch? <laughs> get her something to eat. She's hungry. She was just, she was kind of dead there. You know, get her something to eat. Like, she's hungry. Like, feed your girl. So here Jesus does this unbelievable thing. He goes and he takes this young girl and says, little one, come on, get up. She gets up and she's moving around. And his response is, hey, don't tell anybody about this. No one's going to believe this. I brought you guys to see it because I want there to be an account of knowing what happens. Everyone's going no one's going to believe this story. They're going to call you nuts. They're going to call everybody nuts. I do, it's not the time for them to know what this is going to be yet. Don't, well, of course they did. They're humans and they gossip, right? So everyone's talking probably about this story and the culture and like, did you hear that? Did Jesus raised so-and-so from the, stories are going, did you hear about this girl who was bleeding? And stories are starting to spread all over the place. He says, don't tell anybody and get her some lunch. Beautiful parallel in this story that is so unbelievable. Because the Mosaic Law, not church, Mosaic Church, Mosaic Moses, the Mosaic Law, the original law of the Old Testament, says these people are not to be touched because Jesus just touched a dead body. Jesus just touched an unclean girl. Jesus did, did, did things that he is not supposed to do. He is so unclean. He's broken all these laws, but he's flipped it because the Lord Jesus wasn't contaminated by the unclean. Instead, his holy power that was in him purified them. He had that much power and that much ability that instead of being contaminated, he created purity. He had that much power in the spirit working through him that he goes from people who are dead to alive. Jesus has so much power that he even goes beast mode on death. Not even death can stop him. Not even death has more power. And for us as humans, that is the greatest power in which we know. We know life and death and here Jesus shows us, he says, do not be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid of death, just believe. Do not be afraid. That's what I love about Jesus, is he does some unbelievable things all the time, and he flips things all the time. Because Jesus takes her from unclean to clean. The woman goes from the woman who's bleeding goes from unclean to clean. She goes from unhealthy to healthy. She goes from dying to alive. She is then called a daughter. And the same way Jesus does the same thing with the young girl. He takes the young girl unclean to clean, unhealthy, can't get any more unhealthy than dead, to healthy, dead to alive says, hey, little girl, daughter, young one, the joy of that moment, I can't imagine. I see Jesus looking at this girl's eye, big smile on his face, right? And he embraces her. Can you imagine this moment? As he embraces this young girl, as the parents just weep in joy that their daughter is alive. 
Imagine that moment of what it looks like when you were dead and you become alive in Jesus Christ. Imagine the moment that when we are dead because of sin and because of what we've done, but we become alive in Christ. Imagine the moment of what it looks like that our King of Kings and Lord of Lords can beast mode death and beat it, shows and proves that the gospel of Jesus Christ is real. It proves that the gospel is the most powerful force in all of the universe, that God's power is greater than death. Oh, death, where is your sting? You've got nothing on us because of Jesus. But if we try to do it ourselves, we are dead. If we try to do it ourselves, we are unhealthy. If we try to do ourselves, we are unclean. I love Romans 8, 38 to 39. It says this, it's on the screen. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death nor life. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Neither angels or demons. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Neither the present nor the future. There's nothing that separates you from the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. Over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus has shown us the power of the gospel. And in this one account, what Jesus is now going to show us is, you see how I did that? Now we're going to move forward. We're going to start to move towards Good Friday. And we're going to start to move to a time which do you believe that the power of God has the ability to raise people from the dead? Jesus showed it. Jesus proved it. Jesus showed that he's the greater Adam. He shows that he's the greater of all things. He has proven to us over and over again that this amazing God-man has come to save us. And as he moved to the cross, and as he dies on the cross, don't be afraid. Just believe. Because the power of God in three days is going to raise Jesus from the dead. And then he goes around and he starts seeing all of these different people for 40 days. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to people. He is alive. That is our hope. Our hope is that Jesus didn't stay hung on a cross. Our hope is he's not still hanging there. Our hope is is that the tomb was full. Our, our, the tomb was not full. Our hope is, is that Jesus right now is who that he said that he was. He is the Son of God come to free us from our sin, that he died, rose again, and right now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when he comes back again, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's coming back as the King of Kings. I don't know what greater hope there is, friends. If this is it, and then I die, and then there's nothing, none of this makes sense. Maybe you can come to a different conclusion. I've worked really hard at trying to find a conclusion. What if this is it? What if all of this life is just here to leave a really good earth behind? Why do I care? I don't exist anymore. What if Jesus really is who he said he was? 
What if Jesus really did conquer death? What if Jesus really did take an afflicted woman who for 12 years suffered, who took a 12-year-old girl, married a story together, and he said, I want you to see something here. It's by faith you are saved, not by works. It's the work of God that saves you. It is grace. You can't earn your way into salvation because we are not good enough. That woman believed, and she was healed. Jairus came with belief. He got shaken. But Jesus says, just believe, and they were healed. That is the power of the gospel. It's by grace you are saved, through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, our King of Kings beat death. And our King of Kings did it for us. If you do not have an understanding of what it means and given your life to the King of Kings, I've done many funerals. I'm sharing this with you today. The ones who don't believe are the saddest funerals I do. And at funerals and where people don't believe, I share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at funerals for people who do believe, I share the gospel of Jesus Christ. One is wailing and mourning and such a deep sickness of sadness. To believers who believe in more, there is a mourning. But behind the mourning is a joy that we know without a shadow of a doubt. That person knows the King of Kings and our King of Kings beat death. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.